Yep. Come on. Yep. Welcome once again to the Everyman Upland Podcast. I hope you guys are having a great start to your season here in Georgia. Uh, Dove is the only thing that is in right now. As of the time of this recording, grouse will be coming in around the 15th or 16th, I think. That's Saturday. Um, Once again, we are sponsored by Quail Ridge Plantation going into its 52nd season of bob white quail hunting in southwest georgia if you want more information on hunting at quail ridge plantation go to quailridgeplantation.com call the number there and book your hunt and maybe i'll see you out there this week we have a special guest a guest that i've been uh, waiting a long time to interview and i've talked to him on the phone several times but we have mr jackie Hutwagner of hanahatchee kennels out of I'm going to say Middle Georgia because I don't know exactly where. Or do you consider yourself Middle Georgia? Uh, pretty much south, kind of southwest, but you know, right at the border. Yeah, that's always a confusing line to me because some people say North Georgia doesn't start to well above Athens, well above you know, well way up there, and I would call that north from my perspective. But yeah, I guess Southwest Georgia does go up a little further than. I realize coastal plain you in the coastal plain nope i'm not in the coastal plain i'm i'm uh i'm in the alabama plain okay there you go that, that works <laughs> i'm almost in alabama yeah so mr jackie you i uh kind of got introduced to you through my uh personal search for uh, a french Brittany, um and I heard you're kind of into those dogs. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and then we're going to get into kind of, uh, you're not just a dog breeder and field trialer, but uh, a true uh, hunter of upland birds, and I kind of want to talk to you about that today. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, I'm uh, primarily the, the, the breed that I've selected is French Brittany. It's a, it's the smallest of all the pointing breeds. And, um, you know, and it's, a, and it makes a nice, nice house pet hunting partner combat combination. And, uh, and I've got a, you know, I've got my, uh, one, one English pointer and I've got a, you know, a, a lab, but, uh, most of my hunting is, it's with the French Britneys and, uh, and, you know, like you said, I, you know, I breed them and, and, um, you know, I've brought over several and I've got. Um, a couple of them that, uh, that I field trial and do different kinds of field trials. I'll do UKC walking field trials and uh, AKC walking field trials and, and horseback trials. Man, that's awesome. And you are a true longtime dog, man. You didn't, uh, fall off the cabbage truck yesterday, as they say, how long you been at this? Well, I mean, we've, we've had dogs my entire life and, and, uh, the French Brittany, I I think we got about 17 18 years ago was our first french Brittany. but you know when i was a kid i had pointers and and then um and i and i i live in lumpkin now but uh when i was in in the uh atlanta area um i primarily had a had uh retrieving dogs you know kind of the family pet and um but uh my family's from this area and so uh when i'm in this area i was you know there the birds were not plentiful. So, you know, there's a lot of liberated bird work that we did. And, um, 
you know, got into the French Brittany, but <clears throat> I've kind of enjoyed traveling. I, I sell, I sell these dogs, you know, anywhere from Alaska to New York city to Florida to, you know, coast to coast. And, um, and I've, you, you know, usually when I sell one to in, in, in Alaska, I'll, I take that as an opportunity to hop on the plane and go and do some hunting and fishing there. So, um, you know, we hunt all over, but yeah. And I'm just a quick question about that. Cause we had a conversation the other day and, and you brought up how, uh, you, in your experience, uh, would you say it's easy to travel with a dog? I'm kind of curious about, you know, how well does the dog travel and are they ready to go once they get there? Or is there some like, okay, we got to travel. They need about a day of recoup or how does that work? Well, um, so I've done, I've done a, a, quite a bit of travel. I've, you know, the, probably the toughest travel that I've done on a dog and performance is uh, competing in France. And so that's quite a leg. Yeah, that's and, a long um, way. And, you know, you're, you're checking your dog in. Um, and so, um, you're, you're probably going to run into a, you know, a dehydration situation there. So, you, you know, you got to be real careful and, uh, you know, try to make sure your dog gets hydrated as soon as you can. I, I, I took Atos and when he was like, um, I think he was seven, eight months old. Uh, and I, and I ran him, you know, as a pretty young dog against the, you know, real high caliber dogs. Sure. And his, his first run, it was in spring trials and, and you're supposed to be, you know, going after the partridge and, and, uh, but the pheasants are out there, but if you find a pheasant, you can mess up. You just can't do well on it. You're not, you're not scored. You can be scored badly, uh, but you, you can't, can't be scored positively. They can't be scored positively. And I remember our first run was, you know, two or three days off the, off the plane and uh atos you know he was not running you know the and, and he was trying to figure out the grounds and also the, the rules are different and, and you know and the scents are different and everything and I, I just remember him um it was a real rainy day and, and he had pointed the pheasant and the judge is telling me that doesn't count and and uh and at the very end of the the run there was a farm there with a um you know a, a ton of cow manure and, and a, and a pond manure pond basically. And so the way we got hydrated was Atos just ran and just slid face first into the manure pond and just drank it up. Nice. He was good to go after that. Hey, country come to town, man. It has to happen that way sometimes. Um, so if you're, uh, uh, DIY hunter in South Georgia and you have been working hard to train your dog and you want to go venture out to the West or venture out, uh, even, well, you know, the, the Dakotas, is that, is that doable? Cause I, th I feel like a lot of people think they have to drive. Yeah. They have to make yeah, that drive. It, it's, um, um, the, well, I'll just say this. If Alaska's actually one of the easier places to go to, I mean, it's, it's extremely far and everything, but the thing that makes Alaska, extremely easy to get to is Alaska Airlines. Alaska Airlines, bar none, is the most dog-friendly uh, plane that I've been on. I took, I think I took six dogs to Alaska with me on Alaska Airlines. And uh, and it's a hundred bucks per leg per dog. I mean, that's that's pretty cheap travel. Mm -hmm. And the, th the thing that I love about Alaska Airlines is that they put the dog in they do not close that door 
of that plane until they come in and check in with you with a tag that you had filled out on each dog to let you know that that dog is on the plane and you're good to go and we've secured your dog. And, and so that's reassuring to me, you know, that you just get a little bit of personal attention, but, um, you know, I, I, I just think that's a great way to go. So, and of course there are no direct flights, you know, and from Atlanta to someplace in South Dakota. So it it was, there were direct flights at certain times of the year to go straight to Alaska and, and, and which is quite a leg. Mm-hmm. Seven and a half hours, I think, is about the quickest. But uh, the dogs did pretty well, you know, on that on that kind of a trip. Yeah. Um, and and the, but now that since COVID took over, it's even tougher to do any travel with the dogs. Sure. Um, yeah. You know. You know. Uh, Delta quit. They 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 do not do cargo right now. They do not let you check a dog in. Um, as a matter of fact, they had they had quit uh, letting you check dogs in before COVID hit. They so they quit doing it. United was still doing it. And then COVID hit, they stopped. But right now, American Airlines, I believe, and Alaska are, are your two options, uh, unless you're going to do some kind of charter thing. And that's a whole different story. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not really but, every but, uh, man territory. <laughs> but if you're going to but if you're going to do that, I mean, I highly recommend, you know, one dog, you know, you know, when I was going to Alaska, I knew I was going to be going for a week and a half. And I and I had a friend of mine going and we, you know, we were we were going all out. And, uh, and we had done a previous trip where each of us took one dog. And, and when you take one dog to Alaska and you hunt the way, uh, my friend Jim Thompson and I were hunting, uh, you're, you're going to wear some dogs out. So, um, yeah. you know, so we, we took some extra dogs and, and, and I've sold a number of puppies, uh, in Alaska. So I've got friends, um, scattered about and, and that, that, that's a whole, that brings in a whole nother option. You know, one sure. of the, one of the things about people that, um, a lot, some folks that hunt, they say, well, I, you know, I love to hunt, but I don't want to get into this field trial stuff. But the thing, when I got into field trials, that was when I started getting invitations to hunt on places that it just was not conceivable that I would be invited to some of those private properties. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and so that opens up some, uh, some doors for you that you just never, just never know. And so, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an extremely competitive person. I'm intense with the, with the competition that I go to. But, um, you know, if you're a little more social than I am, you can probably get yourself into some <laughs> more invites than even I get into. So, uh, that's another, another plus on, you know, doing some of the, uh, the, the UKC field trials. And let me just, while I'm talking about that mm-hmm. is, uh, that we've got three, uh, field trials coming up. They're for UKC dogs, and it's only for continental breeds. But um, we've got three of those coming up. Um, we've got one December 11th and 12th. It's in uh, Pine Mountain, Georgia, on some beautiful property, private property, on wild quail. And there's a, uh, another one that's going to be January the 1st and 2nd that's going to be on public grounds on uh, Woodcock. And, of course, that's that's always iffy. You know, you don't know if you're going to hit the – yeah, but what a, what a fun oh, yeah, trial. What a fun trial. Yeah. And then and then a third one we're going to have uh is going to be uh in uh, uh just north of Albany uh on the 29th and 30th of January. So those are those are three opportunities to get out and just meet some folks with uh you know dogs and you know get on some really nice uh private grounds and just, you know, 
enjoy your, your enjoy yourself for the day. Yeah, I will um just around, I'm I'm not nearly as involved well, I'm not involved in that world yet uh, as as Jackie is, but the only invitations I've received from people who just weren't per- already friends, personal friends, the only invitations I received to hunt like private lands and other states and stuff have come through my dogs, not me. I haven't like charmed yeah. my way onto anybody's property, but they'll like see your dogs run and they'll be like, Hey, th- you know, you should try yeah. pheasant up here. And, yep. you know, yeah. and, and you get in by that way. So, you know, it, the more you can kind of, I'm not saying, uh, you know, this is a social sport. I mean, part of this, I do like the, and we can get into talking about hunting a little bit here. Cause I know you hunt public land in Georgia, but for me, I like the social aspect of hunting, and then there's some days I just want to go out with me and my dogs and and connect with them. But you know, I've, I've had I've had invitations, you know, where um, folks have had just tons of property and lots of birds, and they just haven't had the dog power, and they've seen my dogs perform, and they were like, "Hey, can you come and run run your dogs for us and let us shoot birds?" And I'm I'm not even shooting; I'm just handling the dogs, and I've I've enjoyed that as much as any hunt I've ever been on. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've had a few of those invitations as well, and those are always really neat uh, to go on. And it it's a good way to get your dog on some big land yeah. and wild birds that you otherwise absolutely. don't. Because, and we can start talking about this, public land, we talk a lot about public land here and public land hunts, and, and you've heard us talk about, with several guests, uh, our listeners have heard us talk about with other se- other guests that there are wild birds in Georgia. You can go on the public land and find wild birds. Uh, it's very doable. The narrative out there is that there's no wild birds here. It's just it's not true. Um, we're not swimming in them or anything, but they are here. But the the private and this is what me and Jackie had a great conversation the other day about land management in Georgia is probably, would you say it's at a peak right now? Yeah, I would say it's, you know, when you take it, you take a look, um, you know, in the, you know, tall timbers organization, mm-hmm. you know, what they've done in the red Hills area, um, that Southwest Georgia, that Albany area, uh, you know, there's some, there's some extreme wealth that has moved in and they have, you know, hired some PhD folks out of university of Georgia and they have just gone in and they've got the numbers that are, they're at, they're at the peaks. There's just, you, you cannot get any more birds on those properties than what these guys have got for wild birds. Yeah. And, and, and it's just not, it's not just Georgia, you know, but you know, you can, there's some folks, some places down in, you know, North Florida and, and, um, southern alabama that you can get in and still get on some birds but the yeah. the one thing that i'm a little unnerved about when i go to florida that's not <laughs> that's not this way in georgia is in florida you you are hunting birds the same time somebody is sitting in a, in a deer stand on public property with a high-powered rifle yeah and, um, that's a bit unnerving for me but i was surprised at the the, the bird numbers you know that i was able to get you know mm-hmm. but um you know some some good quail habitat beautiful habitat there's some and you and you get in the the at that time of the year you're getting in a, a woodcock every now and then also 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, but the thing that I, I really like about what George has done is they, they have, you can just tell that they have in the last few years have really started working overtime on their, on their habitat mm-hmm. and, and, um, you know, in association with other organizations too, you know, quail forever. And whatnot, yeah. There's but, actually some official connections in some yes. areas where they call them cooperative areas. So you'll Absolutely. see a quail forever cooperative area on public land it just means quail forever biologists and state biologists are working together. So and I and I've talked and I've talked to um, some fo- and I've hunted on some other WMAs that are like, hey, we're not we're we're really not trying to be a targeted quail habitat, you know. We but I do a tremendous amount. I've talked to the managers. I do a tremendous amount of work on the on the habitat, but we just haven't associated because you know we just don't want to pull folks in here on as as a target species. Mm-hmm. If you can find you know some of those diamonds in the rough, you know that that that's some phenomenal opportunity for you too. But what I really like about what George has done, you know, when they, they got silver, silver lakes a few years back when they, when they yeah. brought that property in Bainbridge it area, it's on the coast. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, on the shores was, of uh, Lake Seminole. That's right. And, yeah. when it, and it was open to the, you know, it full, uh, you know, open to the public, no quotas, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, no reduction, uh, in the numbers, man, you know, in about three years we cleaned it out Yeah, and, and they had to change it to a quota only area because, um, it, you know, they had the habitat, they mm-hmm. had the birds, but they had, they had really one great prey, uh, situation going on and that was bird hunters and, and, yeah. and we cleaned it out. And so one of the things that I've noticed that a couple of WMAs have done that are, that have quail as a target species is they they changed it to it's open it's not quota but it's it's you know you sign in and but it's only a couple days a week yeah and and it's not back-to-back days uh and and so you're not going to do the damage to the population that you would hunting but and it's also not you know every saturday and sunday it's you know maybe a saturday here or there a sunday here or there and then then it's a wednesday yeah 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 and and uh but uh, the thing that I've enjoyed, they they drop the limits only. You can only kill three birds. Well, I mean that's still a pretty good good afternoon hunt if you can find three birds. And I've gone to some of these properties and limited yeah. out pretty successfully. Yeah. But what I really like about it is they is they um, are banding the birds, and it just brings a whole nother you know level of uh, uh, entertainment for me. You know enjoyment. You know I've gone. I've gone three times to a couple of these properties and, you know, and I killed three birds out of three trips. And one time I killed out of the three, two were banded. And then the other time I killed one was banded. Matter of fact, I just got the certificate the other day somewhere laying around here, uh, which that was a year ago when that happened. But they said, they called me up and asked for my mailing address to double check, but they sent me the certificate. But anyway, it's pretty cool. That is cool. I, That's I, really cool. I really enjoy that. So it's you've been another. so you've been at this long enough, if I'm understanding, that you've seen the. I mean, it's obvious that we have an impact on animal numbers, but in the quail game, it's very different from something like deer. That we have gone into a, a WMA and just pounded the quail to almost yeah. nothing. That's and right. So you really see these reduced limits, reduced days as a big help 
if we're going to for the longevity of quail in in Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, you can have the best habitat, but when you when you got a guy that can kill twelve birds and he's he's going to find that he finds the cubby and then he just starts pounding those singles, um, you know, he you're going to devastate them, and, and, you know, and and, and you're going to do it because you're going to say, well, if I don't do it, the next guy's going to come and he'll clean them up. You know, you're it's just yeah, human sure, nature. Sure. Um, yeah, man. So that's awesome. Um, and I, it's a very encouraging thing that we have these, these partnerships. And I have noticed too, that there's more property, more public properties that I'm going on. Just look more. Once you know what you're looking for, as far as habitat and quail management practices, you're seeing it more like this property looks a little more quail. managed. That, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I'm seeing that just, it's just beautiful properties. And you're like, man, there ought to be quail here, you know, and then you investigate it a little bit and you find, well, they are, you know, but then, then you hunt it and you can't, I mean, when I say they're quail, I mean, you are hunting your tail off. I, you know, yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember the good old days when, when you, know, my granddad, and my uncles would tell me about the good old days and they were going quail hunting. Well, what that meant was that you started at daylight and you hunted till dusk. And when you got done, everybody was worn completely yeah. out and, and you had six quail. And, and, uh, so those were the good old days. And, and, but you know, when you, when everybody's, hunting that species as a target species, then you're just going to be a reduction. But, um, so one of many, the things, are you uh, seeing many people out there while you're hunting? Cause we don't, well, that, that brings up a whole nother thing. When, when, when I go to some of these WMAs that are sign in WMAs, mm-hmm. um, sometimes I am seeing some folks out there, uh, quite a bit of folks. And, and, and then sometimes I'm not seeing that many, but if you're going to go on a Saturday on one of these sign ins on a WMA, you're probably going to see some folks. Okay. And, uh, but, um, you know, when I'm going on the weekdays, I, I, I don't see as many. And, and then a lot of them are not. I see some people and I think they're hunting. And then I realize they're not even hunting quail at all. Um, but um, you know, when the other thing that I'm running into is that, we, you know, we have so much private property in the state of Georgia that we do have a lot of public land. But there's a lot of private property that, that holds uh, the, the woodcock when they're coming down the timber doodles. Yes. And uh, that is not a species that anybody in the state of Georgia hunts. I mean, there's just a very select few ones of us that hunt that mm-hmm. in the state of Georgia. And, but even if it were to up, you know, you, you might start decreasing the numbers on some of the WMAs, but you're never gonna, you're never gonna hurt the population in the state of Georgia because it's, because nobody is going to give up their deer hunt on private property to let you come in and, you know, disturb their area chasing, uh, you know, a right. Crop. Yeah. And so, uh, those are, that's something that, that, uh, I really enjoy. And I've gone to some WMAs that don't look that they don't look like they, they would hold a quail at all. And I've gone, you know, gone down to the rivers and worked some of the wetlands and everything. And as I'm coming through, I'm, I've run into an occasional cubby of quail and I'm just absolutely, floored when i do that you know that hey you know we you know we've got a chance here that these birds are coming back in some areas that we you know it's just not as pessimistic as you you know think it is one one of the one of the other things you know when you take a look at the southern part of the state compared to the northern part of the state you know when when you cut a tree down in north georgia or tennessee someplace you know that's like a sin against God, you know, in those people's eyes. Sure. Yeah. But, but, uh, 
But the thing we've got going for us in the state of, in the south is we got some hurricanes that have knocked everything down for us. So. Yeah, it ain't the, it ain't just uh, timber uh, companies coming to do it. It's uh, hurricanes right. doing it. It's a little disturbance, yeah, so, natural disturbance. Yeah, but, yeah so there, there's you know, and and then the other thing. Speaking of uh, Silver Lake, got hit hard by Michael. Oh yeah, 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 it did. yeah oh, my goodness. Gracious. But I think it's bounced back. I mean, I think it opened up some areas because. I mean, yeah. there's a common misconception that trees make the habitat. Well, it's really the lack of trees make the habitat. That, you really yeah, need right. a small, small, uh, what's called basal area to really that's hold right. quail. And that means and getting rid of uh, a bunch of trees. And I've got a um, friend of mine, you know, that, that we're going to be on his property at that field trial on the uh, January 29th and 30th. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was like, you don't need trees. You don't need any trees. Trees are for us, you know, yep. to enjoy. Shade. But, you know, he, yeah, <laughs> he, he's got some, he's got some fields that are, that he's, you know, put into a three year rotation on, on disking and, and they've just got unbelievable, you know, um, grass coverage. And, and of course, he's got some boundary areas that have some pine trees and stuff for the birds to escape to if they want to get out of that field. But, uh, he's got unbelievable numbers in these these open fields that you know that, that and but you know he has dedicated that field mm-hmm. you know that's some pretty, that's some that's some fantastic farmland that he has you know dedicated solely to this this fields for quail only yeah and uh so it, it's extremely pricey to do some of this stuff but if you if you have property and you and you, you know you don't have to go out and <clears throat> buy a bunch of native grasses you can all you got to do is just is do a little bit of disking mm-hmm. um, and, and just do it. He says the optimal rotation is, is uh, three years. It gives you everything that they need, you know, for, um, you know, uh, graveling to, uh, to nesting. And, and, it, and the good thing about it is it combines in very well with, uh, you know, what turkeys need also. Yeah. So and, it's, and what Jackie's talking about guys, if you go out and you look at a fallow field or, or just an overgrown, area and year one year two year three you're gonna see the ground is relatively bare there's not a lot of dead matter that has fallen to cover the dirt it may look thick at the waist high level but really down at the stem level it's gonna be uh not as thick but after year three you start getting all that dead the dead leaves and dead stems and dead stuff is going to fall and that clogs it up and that's no good quail will stop using that area quail do not have uh, a strong beak to you know to grab they, they they're not no. a strong bird when it comes to being able to get to the gravel yeah and and they got to have that disturbance yeah and so when you burn it you're gonna bur- or or some yep. light disking and burning is going to clear that for them and kind of reset the ground and your grasses are going to, and your forbs are going to come up quick. Um, I've, I've been trying to, if you follow me on Instagram, we're going to continue doing this, but I encourage people to start learning your native plants. Uh, the, the more you start recognizing the native species in Georgia and what's not native and what is harmful, because uh, what Jackie talks about, you know, dedicating something means getting rid of turf grasses mainly i mean that's a lot of yeah, it. getting rid absolutely. of any bermuda bahia any kind of turf grass is no good for 
for quail. And it, yep, it and is. it's not from here. It's not nope. uh it's not native. <laughs> not native. So you got to and people say, "Oh no, Roundup. Oh no, yeah. cutting down a tree. Oh no, fire." Like the cat's out of the bag as far as turf grass and you got a a, a biologist to come in and tell you you need to nuke this. Exactly. And they mean spray it <laughs> and kill everything. And then when you disc it up, there are seeds that are dormant. They call it the seed bank of your soil. And when you disc, after you spray and kill everything, then you disc, you're going to get those native things coming back up. Um, I'm looking at my old gardens right now, and uh, it got a lot of dog fennel, uh, which is neutral. Uh, biologists would say it's just filler, so it's not good or bad. But wax myrtle goldenrod, ragweed, beggarweed, all that stuff's great. You want that stuff. Go ahead, Jackie, because you're doing some stuff on your property too. Well, I was just going to say we're, yeah, we're, we've had, we really have had a phenomenal year um, uh, with the, with the rain this year. And it's just with just the native grasses have just taken over, you know, these fields and, uh, you know, and I've had, I had somebody come on my property and they're like, Hey, do you have to mow this? I'm like, I'm not, no, I'm not mowing that. <laughs> right. Know? No, 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 you no, know, no. That's not what I, you know, that's not the intention. I may mow some strips in there for me and my dogs to have it easier for, for, mm-hmm. um, you know, training and, and whatnot, but I'm not mowing, but you know what? And, and then, you know, one of the other things is, um, you know, when you, when you take a look at some of the work tall timbers has done, uh, they've got a book out, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's a book out. I, don't, I can't think of the name of it right now. Something to do with um, quail management handbook or something. But, um, you know, the work that they've done has been phenomenal. I mean, but you, you just got to keep in mind, I mean, that people have been throwing a lot of money at some PhD folks. That that's that's their sole purpose in life. And they've been working with extreme wealth to, to, to get things where they need to be. Well, but, you know, tall timbers are, are down in this area of Georgia and southwest Georgia. Between Thomasville and Tallahassee, the Red Hills is just loaded with money. But also, that's where Tall Timbers research is taking that's place. Right. And then if you go a little, slightly north and to off to the west, you got Itchway Notchway in yep. southwest Georgia. And they're doing a ton of work. And those are two of your major, there are others doing great work, but those are two I mean, of your East major Georgia, organizations. Yeah. East Georgia's got some beautiful properties, you know, also, yeah. I mean, but this is just, you know, my part of the world. But, you know, one of the things I do, I mean, I'm, I've got some property, but it's not, uh, and I've got a, a, a couple wild cubbies on it here and there. I don't ever shoot them. I kind of do a salute. I might take one a year or something out of a mm-hmm. wild cubby, but, um, you know, I, I have to work with liberated birds because I'm training dogs all the time, and and uh, and and I'll and I do pigeon work also. But you know, one of the things that I did is I, at the end of the year, when my the quail guy when he was cleaning out, you know, he said I've got a bunch of quail left over. You want them? So I went, you know, got the rest of his quail and threw them in. So I had quail throughout the entire summer, and so I had, you know, basically quail you know, I'm not shooting them. I'm just blanking them and, and they're just going right back to the Johnny house and I'm just repeating the, you know, the, the process, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, but they did, they, they raised, you know, um, uh, so I'm, but the thing about it is when you're, when, when you've got uh, liberated birds, they will, they will reproduce. But the problem is, is they're going to, and, and, and the studies have shown that, that 
mixing native birds uh, with liberated birds is not going to kill them from uh, disease or whatnot. But what what's going to end up happening is they're going to they're going to intermingle and and they're they're going to breed with those liberated birds and they're going to get dumber. And and so what's going to end up happening is your uh, you know your your the predators are going to do the most of the damage because these birds are not that intelligent when it comes to yeah. predators. Yeah, we're not but, talking uh, about dumber in uh, standardized test scores here. We're talking no. about <laughs> dumb so to hawks alive. and cats, yeah. mainly feral cats and uh, yeah, feral cats you know, are stuff awful. like that. So keep your cat inside. You know? That's a PSA but, uh, for you. But one of the things that's happening is is some of the some of the um, liberated producers, some of the bird producers are, are starting to mix in some wild birds with their population. And if you're lucky enough to get a hold of to some of that quality of a bird, you know, that, you know, there's, there's an odds that some of them may actually survive and there's odds that some of them may reproduce and survive. Of course, you know, the best thing you can do is if you could find a way to get wild birds trapped and released on your property, of course, that's the best best yeah. thing you can do but that's not open to everybody and you also have to have it per yeah. you have to have habitat and you already have to have some birds so they've yeah. done a bunch of studies especially in texas where they're going further west because the bob white population there is kind of moving away from the gulf coast and tends to be moving more west and they'll take birds from more central texas and take them back east and where there's properties with birds, it'll help. It'll it'll supplement. But if there are no birds and there's no habitat, I mean, those birds aren't going to last. You know, and they're not. Yeah, they're not going to stay there. There's no way. Yeah. yeah, you got you got to you got to have some the right kind of cover. You're not going to put them in a fescue field and they're going to survive. But but uh, but yeah. But I I mean I have I've kind of I've kind of think that Georgia's on to something with doing some of the restrictive um, limits and different days of hunting. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, it opens it up to people who are interested in giving it a shot to go get some wild birds. It, it makes it real enjoyable when you can, you know, you got a chance of killing a bird that's banded and, you know, you get to participate in the, the study program on that. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, but I really do think if you haven't ever given a woodcock a shot, you know, I think we've got a treasure. I think we've got a gem here in the state of Georgia. I may re- regret ever saying this to some people, but yeah, you know, I think there's some opportunity here for us because we don't. Nobody uses that as a target bird. There, there's there's a handful of people in the state of Georgia that you know consider that a specific WMA their personal property, but um, <laughs> yeah, but, sure. But but anyway, that you know, the thing about it is you they're they're going to come in and come out. So you could just have a phenomenal day. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I, I know a few years back I was on a, on a public land on a WMA and it was, and I, it was literally on Christmas morning because we had done our Christmas the week, the weekend before. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was Christmas morning, beautiful, beautiful morning. And uh, I had 60 plus, um, independent woodcock flushes in the state of Georgia. That is insane. That is insane yeah. when you compare that. So, guys, if if you're just getting started in this, or maybe you've uh, you've done some preserve hunting, the numbers he's talking about here are insane. 
the or maybe you you're listening to this and you live out west because we talked a little bit about this that like I've heard people that uh, on the wing podcast I think it's pheasant forever quail forever's official podcast and the guy was talking about man we saw a he was like ecstatic because he saw like a fifteen bird covey and they talk about like eight to five bird coveys that's like a good day for them well here. You don't find coveys that I have not found coveys that small. Usually, your your quail or you find fewer, bigger coveys. Um, but you may only find you're not going to find you're not going to get sixty flushes a day on quail. Not even close. Not even close to that. Yeah, 60. that 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 was. I I I killed two birds. Put my shotgun away. Got my blank gun out. And train dogs all day, you know, until I left at two o'clock in the afternoon. Got my shotgun out at the last and killed my third bird, and that was the end of the day. So, and uh, I think something I just thought about, and I'm running by you, is this reduced bag living on quail. I think also might encourage more mixed bag hunting. Like if you've only got a few days to go to get out there, can sit. Don't don't go with the preconceived notion that I'm here to hunt quail. If it's woodcock season, if your dog points it, shoot it. You know, if uh, if we get into a situation, uh, my dogs don't point or chase rabbits. Um, I've not done any kind of aversion training. They're just not really interested in rabbits. I guess they see a bunch of them and they just don't care. But if we flush a rabbit, I'll take a couple of rabbits. And we'll just go get them up and and go through the day. But what I'm saying is it provides, you know, more mixed bag opportunities. You don't have to go out there with this preconceived notion that we're out here to shoot quail only. Well, and that's one of the things that I've kind of changed my whole perspective. When, when I first started, I was, you know, I wanted to go kill, 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 but you know, um, with, with quail, I mean, you're, it's, you're not going to feed an army going going out and no. trying to kill quail in the state of Georgia. No, and 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 I and God only knows what those things cost per ounce if you were to pay for them. Um, we don't for what, talk about it, especially around <laughs> our wives or anything like that. That you know, it's, it doesn't cost anything. It's on but, public but land. It's free. That's right. <laughs> but that's that's the 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 one thing I've done is I've kind of change my mentality to if i want to if i want to have a mess of quail i'll just go shoot a bunch of liberated quail and and um, and we'll enjoy eating those and but yeah they're big fat and grain fed they're great there you go (laughs) but there's something to be said for you know cooking three or four wild quail and and just enjoying that as a delicacy yeah and um but it but yeah it's just to me it's more about you know your time out time out I like to spend a lot of time alone by myself, just me and my dogs. Sure. And, and, um, and, and it's just, it's almost a, um, a spiritual experience to me. You know, some of the places I've been, I've, I've gone, you know, like, a, you know, just got back from Montana not long ago. And yeah, jealous of that you, trip. The Facebook yeah, pictures you, were amazing. You just come up on this ridge, you got this dog pointed right on this ridge and, you know, you just kind of like, stop you know and just just and take it in you know i i remember um, i went uh, on a uh on a hunt in oklahoma uh, a few years back with a friend of mine grayson geyer and um 
Clint LaFerry and, and Grayson and I were on this morning hunt and it was snowing and, and it was these big, big snowflakes. And, and it's kind of like in this desert terrain with the snow coming down. And, you know, when you shot, you know, the, the, uh, the snow would just cushion it. Just, you could barely even hear that you had shot, but we were, we were hunting and, and, and we were really, you know, we were really into these birds. Uh, we were really having a great quail day and, and it was really funny because he and I were going down this valley and we both stopped at the same time. We turned to each other mm-hmm. and we were like, okay, this is it. You know, this is, this is as good as it gets, you know, that you can't get any better than where we're at right now at this point in time. It, it was, and you just run into those, those days yeah. um, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. That's um, a great feeling. I, I, I really encourage you with me and Craig Bangert have a uh, friend of the show have talked before about one of the cool things about hunting on, you know, Georgia public land is that you're going to see things that people are just not willing to walk and go see. You would be surprised at the views that we've just stumbled on. And Oh, I mean, when you're, you know, when you're hunting uh, in, in a, you know, low wetland, you know, I, I just remember finding this just humongous uh, lion mane, you know, uh, mushroom, you know, I, I mean, the thing was just spectacular and delicious. You know, you, you just, you don't know what you're going to run into. Right. And, and, it, and it comes up at the most unexpected time. You're like, what in the world? Yeah. Um, you know. Or just the yeah. wildest, like, scenarios that you can't even, exp- I mean, you can't explain them, but, you know, you just see a deer doing this weird thing. You know, like you jump a deer in a weird spot and they run and they, they climb over, uh, you know, I'm just thinking of all the wildlife encounters you come across and, and the views and just the cool stuff. And, and it's not going to happen. You're not going to experience it unless you get out there. And if you're going to be out there, you might as well have a dog. If you have a dog out there, you might as well carry a shotgun. You might exactly. as well hunt a few birds <laughs> while you're doing it. And that's how I view it. You know, it's like, I want to be outside. I want to be with my dogs. I want to be with my friends sometimes. And sometimes I don't. And if I'm going to be out here, I might as well be hunting, you know? And if I kill some birds, great. If I don't, I still had a great time with my dog and they had a, gr- and I know my dogs are having a great time. So, um, man, I, thanks. I, I I really want to catch back up with you and and talk about uh a bunch more stuff. Is there any uh anything you want to leave us with? Uh what you got going on or just uh how's your season going? What's your plans for the season? Well, I'm right now I'm, I've got a my dog Atos. He's he's had a we've had a rough year. He's been doing really good field trials and then we ran him in a field trial and he hurt himself chasing it. He was running real well. It was a one hour stake. And then all of a sudden 10 deer ran in front of him and he mm. took off after these deer and he, and he hurt his back, but it took me a long time to figure out what was wrong with him. And and during the process, I actually had him looked at with a surgeon and he was scoping his elbows, looking at his elbows. And, and uh, when he woke up, he had a stroke. So long story short, we've been rehabbing him and everything. And, going through all of this stuff and working on his back and working on his neck and, and, um, just, you know, wondering, have I lost my, lost my dog? 
you know, or not. Right. And, and, and then we, but I, I had a, a, um, I had a veterinarian that helped me out and she did a tremendous amount of work on him, got him back. But anyway, we're um, a couple of weeks away from going to a, a AKC walking national. So that's, that's my primary focus right now is trying to keep him healthy, get him stronger and, um, and, and have a good showing at that, that nationals. That's what we're working on right now. Man, that is awesome. It is an honor to be able to talk with you today. Uh, a Georgia native and guy who's just, uh, all about hunting and, and doing it right down here in Georgia. I mean, we, we don't get a lot of, I, I was talking with Darrell Smith about just how it's it's weird in Georgia sometimes how you feel simultaneously in the mecca of bird hunting and then on the fringes of the bird hunting story of what's happening right now. But um, thanks for showing us how it's done here in Georgia, and I, I enjoy your your Facebook photos and and your visual storytelling is is really amazing. And I hope you come back to talk to us about how to, I want to, I hope you can join us again at some point to talk about how to make a bird dog in Georgia. Absolutely. Um, And, and thank you so much. So guys, uh, this has been uh, an interview with Jackie Hutwagner. Uh, How can, I mean, if people, uh, not that you want to be found, but if you do want to be found, (laughs) how can they find you? How do they find? Well, there's a couple ways you can look me up on Facebook. That's one way you can also, I've got a, um, uh, my kennel. It's got a, uh, it's got my contact information in it. So if you look up Hannah Hatchy kennels and I've not updated that, that website in three years because I'm, I'm, I'm too busy to fool with it, but it, but it's got my, all my contact information if you want to get in touch with me awesome so again jackie hutt wagner hannah hatchy kennels this is everyman upland i'm sam baker i've been your host uh look us up everyman at everyman upland on instagram again if you want to book a hunt with quail ridge plantation look those guys up quailridgeplantation.com uh, there's a phone number there you can book your hunt things are filling up pretty fast uh, if you have questions uh, for the Everyman Upland crew, or if you have a question for uh, Mr. Jackie, and uh, you can feel free to shoot that to me, and I'll and I'll try to ask him on your behalf. So thanks to you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.